Groovaholics. Welcome to the Rochester Groovecast podcast. Birthed by a love of music, we're all about culture. Don't forget to subscribe and remember the fee. If you gain value from this podcast, personally share it with a friend and explain your favorite part. Let's get groovy. Groovy. just heard Soft City Rose by the Archive Ravens. Tom and Ava, 
They are the duo. They are the Archive Ravens, and uh, humbled to have them as my guests on the show. You need to check out the live stream we did. They performed a 25-minute performance live just for the Facebook community. So go to Facebook, check out Rochester Groovecast, and see their private performance there. That's not going to be part of the show. That's why you want to jump on those live calls and ultimately see it firsthand as we record episodes live on Facebook. That's about it. Had a great time. We really peel back the onion and dive deep into this one. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to the Rochester Groovecast podcast. Your top source for live, local, regional music interviews and events from Rochester, New York, and the surrounding area. I am your host, Ben Albert, and I am super excited. We had a great private performance a second ago. We are live with the Archive Ravens, Ava and Tom. How are we doing today, guys? What's going on? Yeah, I mean, doing really good. I got a fresh haircut today by my brother, and I'm, I feel like I'm looking pretty slick here. So I'm, I'm having a great day, honestly. I'm having a great day. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm having a great day. Um, yes, especially compared to yesterday, we got COVID tests yesterday. And not because actually- we think we have it, but we have to go into a studio. We're going into the studio um, on Friday, actually, and we had to get, um, get tested to go in. So. Yeah, and so, like... They poke that thing up there, and I just like saw lights. I swear my brain like went on some sort of high, and I was like, "Whoa!" It really threw me through a loop. So today is better than that. Interesting, interesting. That that's in uh, the the COVID tests are weird. It's not as simple as you know, prickling someone's finger, or just putting a thermometer in their mouth. They they go up your nose, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and we were in the same room together, so I, I was like, she's like, who wants it first? And I was like, oh, me. And she's like, okay, comes over, sticks the thing down my, my nose. I'm like, all right, you know, I mean, that was a little uncomfortable, but I've definitely experienced extreme physical and emotional pain in my life, so that was nothing. And then I'm like looking at Ava, and I'm like, I bet you she's not going to like it. So I, she- I see him like being cool as a cucumber, and so I'm like not expecting anything. And then like she shoves this thing up my nose, and my whole brain just like explodes out yeah, it was. I was not. I think she prepared. went too far. She went. Yeah. She went all the way back to the optic nerve, yeah. or the uh, not the optic nerve, but the uh, the visual cortex, all the way to yeah. the back of the head, because the optic nerve is actually up here. So it wouldn't make any sense. How's that for a How's that for a bonding experience? Yeah, it was funny. <laughs> I mean, it was funny, but it was like scary too. You know, it's like good to laugh at it now, but I was like, damn. This is crazy. It was an adventure for sure. <laughs> That's the, yeah, the most annoying thing actually was finding a test because we went someplace and they were like, yeah, we can't test you unless you think you have it or you're showing symptoms or whatever. And then um, they're like, okay, call MCC. So we called them and they're like, yo, you can get in Thursday. It's like, okay, well, we can't go into the studio then. But then finally we found a place. So super stressful, but glad that's done. Congrats. Uh, you get the results back soon, I imagine, or is it a place where they can... Yeah, couple days be, should be soon we actually they don't tell you if you're negative so we got to go online and like register for a portal or something so um but yeah if we're positive they'll let us know so hopefully we don't hear anything <laughs> yeah and i want to talk a little bit more about your experience in the past four to six months it's hard to even look back at how long it's been it 
Oh man, it, it's been a quite the trip for everyone, especially for artists and musicians that are so used to playing out. Um, before we dive into that, I just want to thank you guys to give a preface for anyone who didn't realize what happened first time around. Wanted to get ambitious, had some new equipment, and we went to Highland Park to stream. Um, combination of poor internet and just uh, I don't know if the streaming the the mics were too hot. It, it ultimately was cutting out. It wouldn't record. So we're having a conversation for the second time. So I'm confident this is going to be even better than last time. Everything's going smoothly. You guys started it off great playing some music, and um, you guys are going to like the Archive Ravens. They, their harmonies, their writing. We'll talk a little bit about songwriting today. We'll talk a little bit about um, your experience as a duo, and um, you guys are going to love it. So let's let's start with the COVID thing because we're on that. Um, tell me about the past four to six months. I've seen you've been doing a lot of live streams. How uh, are you staying sane, and how has this affected your your relationship as musicians um, who are really kind of just getting? You were just getting started for the most part, right? You were just starting to play out a lot more, and then we got shot in the foot. <laughs> Tell me about uh, the past few months or so. Yeah, absolutely. So when all this started, actually, I was finishing up my last semester at U of R, and we were in the middle of our senior design project, like deep in design, and we we're trying to finish up final reports and stuff, and it was really picking up steam with that. And it's like, okay, this is done. So, Or, you know, school's online, which to me, the equivalent, okay, school's done for the most part. And it was. So I was, you know, feeling very isolated. And of course, at the same time, we're, we're focusing on music heavily. But um, a few weeks into it, I was like, this is crazy. And we actually ended up, I ended up moving in with Ava. And then at that point, we started taking music even more seriously. So um, and our relationship has actually improved from it. I know during quarantine, a lot of people have like been having divorces and breakups and stuff. But I mean, luckily for us, it's just yeah getting better. And I think, I think focusing on music and being able to practice with each other every day has really helped that. Um, so I think like a lot of artists right now, I've been hearing from a lot of people, it's okay because we can focus a lot on songwriting, but obviously not being able to gig out um, as much really sucks. And it's kind of weird. It's, I don't know, it's kind of, you want to talk about this more, but it's kind of, it seems like we really got to pivot more, even more so towards the internet stuff and live streaming and all that. Yeah. Um, and that's a fantastic opportunity. It's something I was really excited about because then you know you can be talking to people in different countries and you can be communicating with all these different communities, which is really exciting. Of course, playing live is wonderful, but the live streams have been so rewarding for us. I think having those comments pop up and being like, "Hi," it's it's. I think it's a different experience from live, but I I really like the live streaming. Um, but yeah, as far as the the quarantine goes. I really count myself blessed because for me, it's been you know, fairly boring. Um, no one that I know has gotten it, thank goodness. Uh, and so for me, it was really a time to focus in on my rituals, my habits. Um, we talked a little bit about this last time, my, my morning ritual and our practice uh, routine really solidified in a way that I think has allowed us to grow a lot. Um, and the other thing is just being able to have time to read books and listen to music and reconnect with, I think, who I was as a younger person when you had more time and when you weren't so worried about 
I don't know, progression in some sort of adult manner. And it's like, okay, I have time now. I'm going to read this thing and listen. I'm just going to sit and listen to this great album. Found a couple of great new artists that I absolutely love. And so it's been, it's been somewhat positive for me. It's good. And, and let's rehash. Um, again, we had a conversation previously, but no one got to hear it. Um, I know you personally, Ava, have a, a morning routine that you've brought in, a, a practice regimen that seems to really be working for you. Do you, do you want to explain that for us? Yeah, so um, I'm definitely an early riser, which uh, can be challenging when there's late gigs, but uh, I usually wake up pretty early, like between five and six, but I'll usually just like take that time from five to six to think about things. Six, I'll get up, you know, have my breakfast, get ready. And then for sure, I'm playing piano by seven. I always make it like it has to be by seven. It's usually like between 6.45 and seven. And then I'll practice from like seven to 10, and then we'll practice 10 to 12 together. And like having that in the morning and, you know, of course, sometimes that gets a little messed up, but no matter what else happens in your day, if you've got your morning blocked out for the things that you really find important, it really sets your day up well because you know, like, okay, I got that done. If that's all that I get done today, that's solid progress. So that's been huge for me. And I think for us too, having some solid practice schedules. For sure. It's great. And um, I, I've, it's been on my mind, so I'm going to bring it up. The whole Spotify David Elk controversy um, for people that for people for people that don't know what happened, and you know, part of what he said taken a little out of context. However, he said it, and ultimately, what he said is, if you're releasing an album every two, three, four years, don't expect to make any money. Um, you need to be putting out regular music all the time. He's basically blaming musicians for not making any money on Spotify when I don't think any independent artist ever used Spotify to make many money anyways. So it was kind of a, a greedy, arrogant way for him to pretty arrogant take on the reality of a musician. And what brought that to my mind is just you're talking about a, a morning regimen where you guys wake up early, you're practicing, you're putting in effort every day. Um, some musicians put in two, three, six, eight hours a day into practicing and honing their craft and creating music that isn't just fast food crap, but something that's powerful and special. So for someone to come out and say, you need to be sending out more music and the reason uh, you're not making enough money is your fault is ridiculous. Because, uh, I mean, that's just a pure example of the amount of time and effort it takes to build the ability to even put out music that people are going to like. You can't just you can't just pop it out like it's fast food. And I'm curious what your you can comment on that if you'd like. But I am really curious about your music making process and all the things that you've went through to get to where you are today where you guys are honed in and, and ultimately practicing your craft at a high level. What, what's the, the experience been like to get you here? So I first want to say that I love the analogy to fast food. And I think that's just an overwhelming problem with our society in general right now. It's just more and dull content and, and just to like kind of 
like dull your senses and just throw things at them. It doesn't matter if they're valuable, just throw thing at, things at people. And I think it assumes also that people aren't intelligent enough to discern what is what is good and what is, you know, like what's a nice leafy green and what's like junky fast food. And so I think as far as uh, his claim for two to three or three to four years putting out music, that is pretty sparse to be interacting with a community in my uh, opinion. But I think if you find a way to, at least in some ways consistent, could, okay, I'll finish that up. Some ways consistently um, interact with your audience while you are building something that takes three or four years. Like if you're writing a concerto or something like that, it might take you more than a day. People will tout things like Ed Sheeran writes five songs a day. And I say, that's fine. I don't want to listen to any of them. Like I no no offense to Ed Sheeran, but that's just not the sort of thing that I like to listen to. There's some value in the fact that someone took their time and their sweat and they just built this thing and they put so much of themselves into it. And I think a lot of it is that Facebook and Instagram and social media, the more time you're on, they want you to be addicted. That's how they make their money. That's how they get their ad revenue. And so they are encouraging this addictive behavior that's not even necessarily people enjoying things. It's just people constantly consuming. It's just like fast food. And in so many areas of our society, I feel like that's such a problem. It's huge. And there's something to be said that if you put out a lot of content and if you can write five songs a day, you'll be able to hold people's attention. Um, but a lot of musicians, they want to do streams. They want to tour. They want to uh, do other things in the community, host events. So for someone to think that Spotify is the only answer is pretty ridiculous. Anyone I've ever met, put the, they put their music on Spotify just to give it out for free anyways. Um, but yeah, it it's not something that you just toss in the fryer and then you're good to go. It takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of honing and practice. And what's that been like? You guys have both basically been lifelong musicians, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I start, yeah, Ava started when she was way younger on piano and um, has done a lot of acapella since then. And I started when I was younger on clarinet and uh, grinded up, did tenor saxophone and got really into jazz and play guitar and stuff. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, being a musician, I would say I've definitely been a musician for like, hold on, let me think for a second, 20, I just turned 24. Yeah, so I've been a musician for like, at least like 12, 13 years. But I mean, all of that theory that I learned along the way, I've always taken it seriously. There's really nothing in my life I haven't taken seriously. So playing clarinet growing up, definitely the initial, like in fourth grade, you know, how they start you off was the initial breaking into music for me and it was a grind and it sucks and you start to play and you're squeaking and you just got to work past that. So it's really like any other profession where you got to build the chops and you got to just work at it and practice and eventually you get good at it. Um, obviously I'm not playing clarinet so much now, but all that knowledge and like learning how to be a musician and learning like what is musical and, uh, and then on top of that, learning how to be a performer is something else entirely. It almost seems like sometimes being a performer might not even be the way to work in, in this business. If you're like, if you're an artist, like maybe you just have to make content and connect to people and be like, uh, I don't know, like, like a personality or something. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to say. I don't know. Kind of, kind of, kind of going tangential here. Yeah. 
but, <laughs> I mean, back to, yeah, I, I feel like my whole life music has been such a driving force. And it's kind of surprising for me uh, because I didn't really understand that music could be a profession really until I was basically in college. Um, and to me, it was like, oh, I always wanted to be a Disney princess because they got to sing all the time. But I didn't realize that, you know, that can be a job. Uh, and so that really changed my path. But you always meet resistance, especially if you're going, I think both Tom and I have gone on somewhat uh, not conventional paths. And so at a lot of steps along the way, you'll get people who are like, why are you trying to, why are you paying so much attention to this? Why does this matter so much to you? Why do you want to take this professionally? And you just kind of keep going. Um, and especially I feel like, because I wasn't prepared for like a music conservatory. I wasn't, I didn't have the music theory background for that. I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, I guess, but ultimately I'm really, really thankful for the experience that I had going to the University of Rochester and studying voice lessons at the Eastman School of Music um, with uh, an amazing uh, doctoral student there, Kiwi Fooder, who's now, well, it's actually really sad. She would be, her favorite role was in an opera called La Traviata um, and she was the, the main part in that. And she just got cast in that and it was supposed to start right as COVID hit. So in, I think March or, or April was when she was supposed to be, you know, she finally made it. She finally got this dream role with a like really great opera house. And then this hits and I, I keep thinking about her and wondering how she's doing. Um, yeah, it's mm. very sad, but I'm sure she's gonna go off to do great things. If you're interested in operatic singing, she's an amazing soprano, Kiwi Fooder. Check her out. Oh. Yeah, it's really shook up a lot of our lives and we're we're learning ultimately how to how to cope and kinda pivot and change a little bit. You guys have been doing a lot of live streams. Um anything else you're doing to stay focused? Obviously we're on the off season with school. Um you, you guys are both do you guys both go to U of R? Or we both already graduated. So you guys both just graduated. And Eva graduated two years ago. I just yeah. graduated. I took a little longer. Mm. I took some time off to pursue other musical interests and because like I got my heart broken, so I left school for a little bit. It was tough. Yeah. But um <laughs> but uh yeah, and then I came back to finish it off. But yeah, U of R. I know um so I, I didn't go to U of R, but I know very much that it's just an incredible school with a ton going on in the music community and ultimately accounting, education, everything. Um what's what's the music culture like there? I, I know there's a lot of a cappella groups. Um did you guys form any bands at U of R? It, tell me a little bit about your uh, time there. Oh yeah, I formed a band. I formed a band called uh, Juicy Connotation. And yeah, just four guys who ended up becoming my, you know, some of my best friends. Um, definitely still keep in touch with them today. We had a tour two years ago, but like since then we haven't, I mean, we've kind of scattered to different sides of the country, but yeah, Juicy Connotation was really fun. It was like a instrumental funky jam band kind of thing. And I played tenor saxophone in that. So that and there was always like opportunity for lessons and stuff and uh, just a lot of, a lot of musical activity, like you said, but um, more formally, I would say the more formal organizations were acapella at U of R and that, those are big deals. I mean, those are yeah. ticketed events. So yeah, I think acapella is a very collegiate 
thing outside of colleges. It's not, uh, it doesn't have the same atmosphere. And I think we were really lucky at U of R to have huge interest in acapella. You get more people going to acapella than to football games. And I was in um, the co-ed acapella group Trevelius, which was awesome and is doing great things. Um, and we actually went to uh, the ICCA quarterfinals my senior year. So it was 12 straight minutes of both dancing. So it was the singing for 12 minutes. I was like, great, sign me up. This is wonderful. I love this. But you add in choreography and <laughs> I just think dancing is so hard and remembering 12 minutes worth of choreography for me. And they're like, Ava, you're on the wrong side. And I was like, <laughs> but it was it was an amazing experience though because it we we went to some really nice stages and we got to sing alongside a bunch of other really good acapella groups from this region. I think uh, you don't like Prince, I think for the most part, but Prince was a master at that. He would be walking. You can watch videos of him going across the stage, singing flawlessly and shredding on guitar and just moving <laughs> around and choreographing the whole yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And really, I mean, I've, I'm not like in love with Prince's music, but it's so impressive to see. And I totally respect it because it's just incredible performer. Yeah. Um, that can do all three at the same time. Performance ship. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah. Yeah. Talk, huh? Talking about performance ship. I think we just coined a. Is that a new term? I, I don't know. I, I love like it. it. There's definitely a word that I'm looking for. That's not, that's not the one. Showmanship. Yeah. Showmanship. Yeah, Performanship. <laughs> how do you guys feel? How do you guys feel, you know, getting on stage? Are, are you nervous? Are you oh, yeah. more more inward? Or are you the guy like people that have no issue dancing or talking to the crowd? Some people just have a knack for it, but I find that a lot of musicians, they almost have a burden of perfection that uh tell me a little bit about your experience getting on stage and if you've gotten more comfortable over time and how it feels when you're getting up for a, a new crowd right so i would say both of us are pretty introverted and and as you were saying a lot of artists that are this introverted uh type it's harder for them to uh be huge like that and out and talking but there's a part of me that really loves it but also there's that little part of me. When I was a little girl, I definitely had stage fright. And I worked through that in different theater settings. So musical theater was um, definitely a, a big part of how I uh, got into the stage and got comfortable on the stage. And for me, I would say still, it just is so random when uh, like the nerves hit. Sometimes it'll be a big show and I'll be like, I'm fine. And sometimes it'll be playing in front of one person and you'll be like, oh my God, why is my heart going like this? You know, it's, it's so hard to tell when it's going to hit. So I guess that's the scariest part that it's just a mixed bag for me. I don't know what your experience with that is. Yeah, definitely getting in front of people, being comfortable in front of a mic and having that power of, yeah, I mean, you're in front of a room of, you know, potentially 50 to 100, hundreds of people and you're in, you're in front of the mic, like everyone's going to listen to what you're going to say. Sometimes can be a bit overwhelming, but it's a skill like anything else that you can develop. I definitely haven't mastered it yet. I I mean, I'm normally a, tip, a pretty shy guy, and I make up for that by saying like, I don't know, like uh, funny funny quips here and there and shit. Uh, excuse my language. But um, yeah, doing that on stage doesn't always work, right? It gives you do a bunch of songs, and then you say something that's funny, like, 
everyone might not think it's funny because everyone's kind of you know doing their own thing or like having their own night or whatever yeah so it's it's tough you got definitely got to be more personable for the most part well it depends on each crowd you're playing for and what kind of music you're playing yeah for. and the yeah. venue too i think that I, being in these different settings, you have musical theater, people are sitting down, people aren't talking, they're clapping in between when they're told to clap. And I'm also a big opera fan. And you know, if you like things like Wagner, it's this huge five hour, you don't talk, you sit down, you pay attention and you get out and you feel exhausted, you feel like you ran a marathon. And then there's recital halls and then there's playing in like pubs and stuff. And so that's actually kind of newer to me. I feel a little more comfortable in like the voice recital sort of setting. But I'm definitely growing to love the more casual setting of like places that we played around here that are more, you know, like half restaurant or, or um, bar and stuff like that. And it's just, it, you have to be a different performer for all of those different settings. And people always say good music is good music, but I think a lot of it, you have to be reflecting the setting that you're in. Yeah, absolutely. Being a like getting in front of people and being putting on a performance is so much more of like a different part of being a musician than just making the music and putting it out there. It's it's a completely other skill that you got to master. And uh, yeah, I had something else to say about. Yeah, and the ability to read a crowd too. I feel like that's something that like is constantly evolving. Yeah, it's tough. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was going to say um, with live streams too, because we just started doing that. It's a completely different thing where you'd think you'd be more relaxed, but as soon as you hit, as soon as you hit, oh, I just popped the mic. As soon as you hit record, boom, you're in it. And like you're in front of people or you potentially are. So it's almost like this uncertainty of not being in front of people actually can make you more nervous because mm -hmm. you can't see the crowd. The crowd is there, but it's hidden. So it's a little weird. There's but, not yeah. the... Yeah, not the same kind of immediate feedback you get when there's a crowd clapping or smiling or asking for song requests or moving in closer. The live streams are definitely different. It, it's a it's a unique experience. You you got to be able to read the crowd playing live. Is there any favorite crowds or favorite venues that you've really enjoyed playing at? We played actually this chili competition that for some reason was really special it was a small, like we were in this small little attic-y setting um it was like the rochester like, art, center. art center it was right next to dogtown over there yeah on monroe um and just for some reason all the people there were like really warm and welcoming and it just was so special even though it was low-key and people were walking around eating chili yeah. <laughs> so i'm a simple guy tell me that i can eat chili and play music <laughs> It's fine for me. Yeah. That's all I need. So it was a great gig. Yeah, good, good call. Yeah. It was a good one. That's a good memory for sure. That sounds and incredible. And I also love Christmas gigs. So mm. definitely looking forward to playing any Christmas gig. Uh, and I would love to do, if things are smaller at that time still, um, if people are doing like house shows or something to keep it like a smaller group. Christmas house shows to me, that sounds like heaven. Just being in someone's little living room and having them in like, I don't know, a handful of like, you know, 15 of their friends and playing Christmas songs for them and singing along. That to me just, that'd be great. <laughs> Got a nice grand piano, warm fire, all decorated. Yeah, a little fuzzy shawl, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, um. my friend was joking earlier today that this is ultimately 2020 is the year of the private show house parties. Because, so. yeah, um, 
it's tough because when you do like a drive-in show, you're a fraction of capacity, so you do have to charge more. Um, and it there's almost a, a little less intimacy when you, you have to be by your car and you can't be up close and, you know, experience it the same way that you ultimately would at a small house show. I, I think they're safer and they're a lot of fun. So yeah. have you guys done anything like that thus far? Do you have anything in the works that you're any small events that you're doing? So, I mean, I used to over the summers, like in high school and college, I would have house concerts at my parents' house and do like musical theater stuff and like art songs and stuff like that. And it was always a great time. And I would love some to have some way to do that in like the live stream setting, like have a little studio audience, people that can come being in there and having it live streamed so people can have that small house party atmosphere. Um, I still just feel so awkward about everything because I feel so much uncertainty when I go to like social gatherings right now or whatever, because it's some people are like, Oh my God, like if I get close to anyone, I'm going to get COVID. And then other people just really don't care. I'm more towards the relaxed side because I, I just don't feel like I have much to worry about, but I'm also not trying to get anyone sick too. So I feel really like, I feel that anxiety about it. So for me, it's just really anxious. We don't have anything really, lined up in terms of that right now but even if we did i still would feel weird weird about it just because what i have been to it's just like this weird this weird anxiety and tension and i feel like there's a lot of that in just in general in society well it's getting less and less right now especially here in rochester but in, in general i still think it's it's really like that this anxiety fortunately i agree the other unfortunate thing about rochester is you can't really do outdoor gigs you know, more than three or so months out of the year. And so, yeah, now we can do them and that's great. But, you know, if, if we still don't have a vaccine for a while, I'm not going to be able to do outdoor gigs when it's snowing. So I think like the outdoor gigs is a good small scale solution right now, but I'm very curious to see how things go when the weather starts to turn. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And, you know, even if there is a vaccine, you can get the flu Every year, I mean, it mutates. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where this all goes. Um, I'll admit I've been a little more on the relaxed end of things, um, but I think it's never been more important that instead of pointing fingers or acting like we know the answer, just be respectful of each other and ultimately listen to uh, what people believe in terms of their space, their family, their ultimately the people they socialize you know maybe they take care of someone that's at high risk so it's definitely been eye-opening um has any of this inspired any new songs has there been any covid tracks or just if not yeah. any songs you've written in this interim period yes yeah, so, i mean some just inspirational moments like sometimes i pick up the guitar and i'm like the world is coming to an end <laughs> We're all gonna die. <laughs> Shit like that. But besides that, not really. Um, yeah, we we've written music, but none of it is particularly COVID focused. Yeah, I I think I try to escape it more than anything else, right? So mm. if I'm writing, I'm not trying to write about this situation because it it really it really upsets me. Honestly, it's been making me more short tempered, and that's. It's not like something I struggle with a lot, but I definitely, it's definitely put me on edge a lot. And 
it's just, I just feel like times are really tense right now. So if I do write right now, I'm writing about nothing about this. So even though I think that could be good to write about because people love to hear things about the, about the times. Yeah. But uh, I think, I don't know, in, in some ways it's, it's a little faddish too. I think some people, just like we were talking about the, the fast food culture sort of thing. I think some people are just hopping on it to be like trendy and just like mm-hmm. getting a thing out there. I think some people are writing great stuff, so I don't want to, knock anyone so for me i definitely have the tendency to write about things that are a little more obscure i guess uh and so it just didn't attract me as a topic yeah no fair enough i I resonate with you mentioning that it's faddish I, i don't know the whole story but ultimately i heard on another podcast they were talking about this instagram model who basically showed up to a black lives matter rally where they're like rebuilding buildings and she grabs a hammer takes a couple photos and then gets back in her car and drives home um and it's it's sad to hear stories like that where people are actually using a time of crisis to uh look a certain way or present themselves or be opportunists in a time of crisis. Um, I think it's the genuine thing to do to just be true to yourself. Um, You guys write music that is very personal from what I've heard. What, um, what inspires you to write that kind of music? Is there any songs that you maybe want to quote or um, just a little bit behind your, your songwriting because it, it's very intimate and real, right? Yeah, I think for the most part, I I do a lot of like, uh, well, I mean, we, we co-write everything, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But Ava is more of the lyric side and I'm more of the music side, for yeah. sure. Um, one that I'm thinking of, one that comes to mind is late October. We played it in the live set like second, I want to say. Uh, and that one, we, we tend to have lyrics that are kind of... Uh, like riddles like not very like obvious things um and that one actually that one's very personal because it is the the song is kind of like two trees that fell in love in the fall and that's and it's using fall like autumn and fall in love and it's playing off a lot of those and like the leaves turning red as the love's growing you know like this green love turning into red and so for that that was very like specifically about um you know us find each other kind of in the in the fall um and then another one that's very personal and actually so personal that uh one of us was a little uh uninterested in it being so out there is the candle which for me if that one was inspired by i wake up a lot in the middle of the night and i'm thinking about things and i kind of have this racing mind and i I'm tossing and turning the, the course, like toss and turn, he holds me anyway. Um, and that one's very much about how we stick together through things, through like this, things that are sometimes very uh, like tense. Um, and so, you know, things, it's interesting because we're so fortunate to be able to make music with each other. And, you know, we do all these things together. Like we're tennis partners. We, we play double tennis together. Um, and so there's all those elements of us specifically as a unit and that factors into how we sing together and how we write songs together. Um, and that's, I think that for me has been so 
that's been my favorite musical experience so far. Like I've been in big shows where you have a huge cast. I've been in acapella where you're singing with like nine or 10 other people. Um, and then I've done stuff on my own, but being able to have like a small unit, but you're still this like tight unit is for me the most rewarding musical experience. Yeah, just to put it in perspective, I didn't really know all the meaning behind late October until just now. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> if you want to know where we're at with uh, the way songs come about. Um, I mean, definitely the candle, the lyrics are pretty uh, uh, literal, so I, so I knew what that was about. And I actually fought the lyrics on that song for a yeah. while, but you know, at a certain point, you just do it for the art. And uh, in, there's, there's compromises on each side of it where one of us will want something and the other one wants another thing. And at some point, you're making, when you're collaborating with somebody, you always got to make compromises um, for each other at some point. But I think that on the note of like being like a tight group in writing, when I look at bands that are really successful, I think a lot of the time I see there's one or two people who are really the core writing everything. So at the end of the day, having a partner in writing is really, uh, is, is really good and you get a lot of, good synergy when you can combine two, two great minds yeah. <laughs> without sounding too, uh, too humble there. Yeah. Let's take a second to listen to one of your tracks. I know you guys sent a few over and they're all great. Um, how does waste sound? Yeah, let's listen to it. time of year snow comes down covering everything freezing me up you know that summer froze bring out your winter clothes covered heads in cloaks you're breathing smoke step into the cold
listening to the Rochester Groovecast podcast. Head over to Facebook, like Rochester Groovecast, and mark our page as C First to keep in touch with everything new. Now, back to the show. <laughs> Love it. We are back. We are back, and... um that was pretty. I like that song. What, tell me a little bit about it. Yeah. So uh, definitely, yeah, well, first of all, we consider that more of like a demo recording. We recorded all the songs on that. In my, Not to take away from them, but we did it in my room. So hopefully we can get back in the studio and make those mm-hmm. all sound a little bit better. Uh, but yeah, that one's Waste. That's a song that is... Uh, constantly evolving. It's constantly evolving. Absolutely. I mean, it first started out as its first incarnation was a song that my cousin Mike wrote um, called Honey, and it was completely different. Well, yeah, it was very different. But if you look at that song, it was the root of what this song became, where it has the 7-8 section, and then it changes to 4. And that's what his song was, where uh, the chords are very similar. But then I, I loved that song. I just thought it was so cool. And it sat with me, and I would play it sometimes in college uh, in my dorm room. And eventually, you know, just develop, and I'd be thinking about it during classes, and it develop and develop, and eventually, I came up with some words for it, and uh, it's still developing today. Actually, the way we play it now is actually different than that recording already. <laughs> yeah. um, it's funny listening back because that arrangement seems to be changed. Hopefully, now we've found the arrangement that we're settled on, but it's just changed so many times since we've been working together. And even before, when we were playing with some other musicians, it was totally different. Um, but really what the song really what the song is is and it's a character it's a guy it's just it's just a guy walking through the snow in winter very very simple nothing crazy about it walking through the snow probably goes to a show smoking a cigarette having a conversation with a stranger and that's really in there it's like a what's it called not nihilistic, but it's like, they're talking about like Armageddon basically. It's just like one of those random deep conversations that you have with a stranger outside a bar at a show, randomly, whatever. So that's kind of what the words were inspired by. But then you also have this uh, Ava singing these high lines and they kind of float above everything else. And they're supposed to be ambient. And uh, that represents kind of like the thought and the idea, um, of these like ethereal ideas that they're discussing. And maybe also like a brighter, optimistic turn on it and like this angelic character. If you want to talk about more what you think about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I see it in a very theatrical way. And it's interesting because we'll sometimes talk about our takes on songs and we'll generally have different perspectives. And for me, I was like, why is this called waste? What is the, and, and even in shaping how the, the vocal line progresses that like descant sort of, um, high vocal line and to me I was like oh it's called waste it's kind of like the fifth element where this angel character comes down and is like experiencing the world and first it's like wonder and and I, I do see like her inter- like watching this sphere of normalcy of like this person just being like you know outside the bar that character and then going through and like seeing the world just like in the in, in the fifth element kind of where she's like wow this is amazing and like oh my god this is awful and then like oh wow like this is actually wonderful and worth saving there's a lot of things that are wrong about it but um it's it's 
worth it. And that's why the word waste, you know, you think of winter and you think of the desolation, but there's also so much beauty there. And that's actually a theme across a couple of our songs where, you know, there's, it's that melancholy thing where it's like you see something that seems desperate, but there's actually hope there. And that's what I, I really love music that does it, that uh, takes people from a place of like, there is this darkness, let's acknowledge it, it's real, but there is something that can be built and something that can be beautiful from it. It's funny actually, the title Waste comes from an earlier incarnation where there was a chorus in the song and some of the words of the chorus were, wasting time can be so addictive, but I'm caught up in a suicidal labor of love. And that's just kind of a dramatic way to say, yeah, it may not look like I'm doing anything, but like, I love what I'm doing. And this is like my labor of love. So it's like, as much as I'm going to like take this to my grave, this is what I'm going to do until I'm done doing. So that's, that's what the title came from. Then it just got shortened to waste and then it just stayed there. So that's, that's what that is originally. But I like, I like your interpretation. I think that's really cool. And that's some of what's really cool about making music with Ava is that she has these deep thoughts and, and creates these stories and can put more meaning behind it. And I think that's what makes music actually worth existing is the meaning behind it. Um, but also the feeling because without rhythm, what would be the point of music also, but without meaning, I don't think there really is much of a point either. So you, yeah, that's kind of my two cents on music. Yeah. Music clearly is a labor of love for you guys. And yeah, um, I'm curious cause you, you guys obviously have a lot of passion for the creativity and the artistry of the music, but you're also very rooted in the technical aspect with the compositions, the harmonies, changing arrangements. How do you find a balance between I'm going to write something that's uh, creative, I'm going to write something that's a metaphor, I'm going to write something that's beautiful versus I'm going to write something that's musically sound and actually makes sense and sounds the way I want it to sound. Uh, it, is it hard to find a balance between the technique and the emotion or creativity or does it, is it easier than it, I would think it is? Cause I, I know personally, it's always hard for me to find uh, those balance in those kind of dichotomies. Well, I think really that is the challenge of music. I think is having an idea and trying to figure out, how do you how do you make this something that feels something that appeals to the lizard brain, you know, in all of us? So I mean, there's I think there's a lot of tricks that people do too, where um, you know people like they they make a lot of music and they they figure out like oh okay like if I sing this way or this rhythm it doesn't really matter what I say. Um, so there's there's different things that people do, which obviously I, I don't really buy into that camp. We're listening to the uh, David Matthew David Matthews band came on the radio the other day and literally he's just saying one nonsense line after another and yeah it sounds good musically it's great i you know again dave matthews band musically respect him grave digger actually an amazing song but this song whatever it was we we're listening to i was like yeah that's just one nonsense line after another like this sucks like this isn't like the music needs to be good enough for the nonsense line to actually work and if it's not there it's like what are you doing but yeah i think that is the challenge of music though is is bridging that gap and and doing it in a way that that really works, finding finding that fine line and and walking it. I think that's what that's for me. That's what music is all about. Yeah, I think it's it's still something that I'm trying to figure out how to navigate gracefully 
because for me, I don't really want to write a song unless there's like a novel aspect, like there's something cool and new and different and weird about it. Because otherwise, you know, you can just do a cover because I absolutely respect doing, you know, taking other people's work and really learning it, really taking it to heart and presenting it in, in a very positive way. And so for me, the point of writing a song is to do something weird. But then for me, that, that skews you, like for, specifically for me, towards something esoteric or you know, a little too, a little too brain and a little like not enough, like, oh, people are gonna be, you know, moving on the dance floor. So that's something that I'm trying to navigate. But it's such a pleasure to work with Tom because he has such a great uh, instinct for what moves people, but also the musical sophistication to really like make it something that's like tantalizing. Thanks. Um, yeah. And, and for me also, Tom was talking about lyrics. And I have to say, I'm a person who, if a song's musically great, but the lyrics are trashy, or they're just taking something, like just basically taking someone else's thing and it's just uh, like redundant, basically, it kills it for me. And maybe that's because I do, you know, consider myself primarily a vocalist. And being so, I consider the words to be the vehicle of my musical instrument. And, you know, I, I think phonetically and also what you're saying intellectually it's really important because that's when your brain kind of fires in all the ways that makes make music so exciting when you get the intellectual and the emotional and and just like something that is temporal like something that rhythmically moves you uh that's really the most important thing for me and especially because i feel like sang so many songs and so many of them it's like they use the same 50 words and I think I used this analogy before but it's like okay you know you get a packed baggy lunch and like you you open it up and you're like is there gonna be something exciting in here and then it's like every day for three years it's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and at a certain point you're like okay I'm just gonna use like love and come on and hey and let's go and it's like oh I'm just sick of it <laughs> you know that's how I feel <laughs> Hey, peanut butter and jelly is amazing. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, and I hear that because I love PB and J. I love mac. <laughs> I love macaroni and cheese. I love. This guy completely, completely invalidates your whole argument. And you're like, oh, PB and J for three years. I would love to eat PB and J till the day I die. So I don't know what point you're trying to make here. This is a well, little tangent. The, the but mac and cheese. This guy <laughs> loves mac and cheese. No, I don't. <laughs> and we were in line for groceries, um, and he had like eight boxes of mac and cheese. <laughs> and I was like, "You really like mac and cheese, don't you?" And he was like, "No, I don't like mac and cheese." No, that's not how it was at all. <laughs> no, I, there was like five. Totally boxes. called him out and was like, "Yeah, you really don't like no. mac and cheese." <laughs> no, no, there was like five boxes of mac and cheese, but it's all I had that I was cashing out. And I was putting it on the t on the counter, and as I was putting it up there, I was like, you know what? I really don't even like mac and cheese that much. And she, she looked at me, the cashier looks at me, she's like, well, it's too late now. <laughs> yeah, that's how that one. Yeah. Well, and you can get. And I don't like it that much. You know, it's not that good. Not like you eat it every day or anything. I mean, it's tasty, but it's you know, it's not good for you. I mean, five boxes of mac and cheese, five dollars. It's cheap, but to get back. I mean, I was buying. I was buying the bougie shit. <laughs> <laughs> I like the good stuff too. I like to make my own, but PB and J, 
PB and J mac and cheese pizza. I think they're all in a category that, man, if, if I wasn't more concerned with my health than I used to be, it's the kind of stuff that I could eat every day indefinitely. And you talk about, you know, music that has 50, the same 50 words, the same common themes, you know, um, lyrics that don't really go anywhere. I feel like in a way that's Mac and cheese, that's PB and J that's pizza. You know, people are going to like it. You know, people are going to consume it, but if everybody's doing it and you can get a box of Mac and cheese for a dollar, uh, are you going to take the risk and make broccoli ham mac and cheese? Are you going to home make it? Are you going to make the noodles from scratch? It, it seems like it's easy to just put pizza on a plate and people are going to eat it. But there's a little bit of, uh, you know, a risk taking to be like, no, I'm going to make the, the high end salmon plate or I'm looking for a filet mignon. And I know that a lot of people are going to reject this because it's not as easy to, to, to sell per se as a slice of pizza, especially with certain groups of people with youth. Um, you guys take a lot of risks or are there certain artists that like, let's say we were to take one to three albums and you were that had the opportunity to gift a couple albums or recommend a couple artists. Are there any artists that really take those risks that inspire you to make music that isn't Mac and cheese or PB and J per se, and make music that's a little more complicated um, than the, the basic stuff that a lot of people do. So the first person that comes to mind for me for sure is Joni Mitchell because everyone loves Joni Mitchell, but she's weird. Her guitar parts are weird. Her lyrics are weird. Her poetry is amazing and weird and, and convoluted sometimes. And her melodic lines are weird and everyone loves it. And uh, I also feel somewhat uh, relieved by the fact that she started writing music later too. I started writing music when I was 22, which I found out was the same age that Joni Mitchell was. And I was like, okay, cool. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm doing fine. Um, but she took risks and people like that she took risks. And she also genre wise, you know, she started out with this really rich folk stuff. And then she moved to jazz. She moved to all these different places and she did whatever called out to her in a very, um, Ruthless sounds negative, but a very assertive way. She she followed exactly what her instincts were, and she wasn't going to let anybody tell her, "Oh, that's too weird," you know. And and people, you know, she's remembered as one of the greatest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think what really gets me in somebody's music is they're they either have like a, a genuine tone to their voice, or there's some type of authentic authenticity to the way that they produce their sound or what they're saying that really resonates with me. Those are the, those are the artists that I gravitate towards. Um, yeah. You said taking risks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Taking risks. Oh, it's hard to say. I mean, musically, I don't know, being, being authentic sometimes is taking a risk, right? Like this, this song, the candle that uh, we're talking about where it's like toss and turn, like whatever, that's super personal. And I, I immediately was like, I don't want to like, I don't want to perform that. But after, you know, after a while I get over it, sometimes you just take the risk because you know what? It doesn't really matter in the end of the day, because if you have a story to tell, 
it's just up to you to be a great storyteller. So I think um, you should absolutely go for that. You should absolutely take risks in music. You should go for what feels authentic and what, what feels right to you to create. And if you're not doing that, then, I mean, how could you not do that? How could you, you know, I mean, does anyone really create music that they're like, I think this is like, this sucks, but I'm going to push it out there because I know it's going to sell. Yes, unfortunately, there's a lot of people who do that, I think. I don't know. Um, but the other artist that I'm thinking of who is an inspiration, I've been thinking a lot about uh, Tracy Chapman's album. I think it's just titled Tracy Chapman. But she talks about things that are important. It's not, the music is gorgeous. Her singing is gorgeous. But there's this really important societal uh, commentary that that's through it that I think that really is what resonates with me that's the sort of stuff that really hits me you know stuff that sounds pretty great that's nice but stuff that really means something and is asking for change uh, I think that's and, and is really like again taking risks because it is it's negative it's not like oh let's go out and, and dance um, I think that's really beautiful and those are the albums that stick with me versus the ones that are just kind of bubbly and fun absolutely guys you know it, it you reminded me i reminded myself i suppose this was rest in peace it's my father's birthday and his favorite artist was frank zappa which is just another example of someone who you know lived his truth he didn't write songs that were inspirational and emotionally powerful he wrote weird goofy talking about not eating the yellow snow kind of music that was jazzy and obscure and and again it's you know taking risks and and speaking your truth it, it is a huge thing um i think it's about being convincing along that line yeah you know, being the good storyteller like if you're if you're so real about it like people will appreciate the fact that it like it is true and it's genuine, I think. And people latch on to that. So hopefully. Yeah. It's a it's a beautiful world to live in, right? Because it's no longer a situation where artistically there is a canvas or a guideline that you're supposed to follow and you get signed. And I mean the sixties, seventies, there honestly, all through music, there's been so many people that have pushed the boundaries. But there was always, you know, guidelines and record companies and stylistic things that you were supposed to do. We're in an era that if you go and you speak your truth and you create music that speaks to you, okay, so your neighbor might not like it, who knows, but there's millions of people out there that you can reach with the, the live streams and Instagram and Facebook and all these mediums. Um, the sky's the limit. It, ultimately looking to the future are there certain musicians you'd like to play with are there venues you'd like to headline um any big dreams realistic or unrealistic that uh we have coming up that we should look for yeah i mean i hope eventually that this can continue to grow and we can build a following here in rochester it's the point and i hope things open back up but to a point where i don't know at least like the immediate goal would be to be able to open for people at fest like the Rochester summer festivals and stuff like that. And then maybe eventually if, 
if we keep building and get good enough and build enough following that we could even maybe headline in that. Cause I don't think that's completely unreasonable. I mean, you have Simon and Garfunkel mm. who were like us, I think. So I mm. think Simon and Garfunkel become like an inspiration. I mean, they were huge. Yeah. So I don't think the you know, sky's the limit with that really. Talking about great songwriters who took risks and talked about things important. Simon and Garfunkel just, they were, they just nailed it. And people realized the depth of their music. And it, you know, was alongside all this big, you know, these bigger, heavier bands and it stood up. Um, but for me, I guess I always think, I think I said this uh, last time we talked to, um, we talked a little bit about how I'm, I love our Rochester Philharmonic and I've been going ever since, ever since I was in the womb, I like to joke because I probably actually was, but yeah, uh, that season tickets. You know, I go with my mother and we have a great time. And then Tom's been going with us lately too. Oh, great. But if you talk about a dream, if we could arrange, you know, like have a, a body of music that we could arrange to be backed by the Rochester Philharmonic and play in Kodak Hall with mm. the Rochester Philharmonic and their beautiful lush sections, that would just be, oh my gosh, I'd be in heaven for sure. That'd be amazing. It's kind of it's kind of Rochester focus, but still, that's like a big dream because huge artists. Yeah, I mean, getting big in Rochester would be a, would be our first like big immediate goal, mm -hmm. and yeah, and then small steps would be just to be able to build more of a following here, and again, hopefully things open back up because getting in front of people is what's really special for me mm -hmm. with music. So being able to being able to tell that story firsthand and being able to reach people, hopefully, I mean, it's it's so rewarding when you can play music for people and you can you can finish a song. I don't know. It's different for everyone, but for me, if I'm really getting into a show, I'm getting in that flow state, I'm kind of blacking out when I'm performing. I mean, I'm there, but I'm in more of a heightened sense. And when the song ends, I kind of come down out of that and to be able to see when that when that happens, to see that you know, people are watching. And I've, I've reached people with the music. That's the most rewarding thing. So hopefully, yeah, I can just get more live shows and get that going again and just return to some normalcy with that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And if... Like the pinnacle would be being big enough where we could meet Dolly Parton. If I could just like <laughs> see her and be like, hello, <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> She's wonderful, incredible and inspirational. Yep. <laughs> I hope all these dreams can come true. Arrangements with the RPL, reaching out to everybody that, uh, ultimately deserves to hear your music you know meeting dolly Parton. i appreciate you guys taking some time here today because at the end of the day i take full credit for the issue we screwed up last time i i, I the stream didn't work we had a great conversation but didn't get recorded didn't go live between that and this you guys have invested a ton of time I appreciate you taking the time tonight. I hope that everybody at home enjoyed this. It ultimately got a lot of value from it. How do people keep in touch with you? What, what's the best way to stay in touch? Right. Well, you can reach out to us, first of all, on our website, thearchiveravens.com. And one big thing that we're pushing right now, well, the two big things, our two big platforms right now are Facebook, The Archive Ravens. And you should go there, like, and follow us and see first, like you said, if, if you're into our music. And the second one would be our YouTube page. That's YouTube slash The Archive Ravens. And, you know, subscribe there. You can, you can follow all our releases. We're going to be building that more and more. 
So we're really trying to push that and build that up and hopefully can become a platform to, uh, to send our music out into the world. So yeah, those are the two things. And I gotta say, as, as much as uh, last time technically was kind of a snafu, it was so much fun both times. It was, it's like, it's been great. It's definitely been worth it. Thank yeah. you so much for having us on. And this time, at least we're not getting rained on by squirrels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a good time. There's one thing that, so I, I go to music all the time. I at least used to. And part of what I like do going to music, uh, going to live music is kind of, having one-on-one conversations and having quiet conversations and not feeling like I need to like sit and talk the whole time, like a dinner party or a bar kind of just seeing the music. Um, But then not having music anymore and not having in-person interaction, I've come to really appreciate conversations like this where we can dive deep and have those real talk conversations that you're dying for after a show or pre-gaming before you go to an event. Um, so I really appreciate having the opportunity to do this. I appreciate that uh, the internet makes this possible, that everybody watching on Facebook uh, makes this possible. Is there anything we missed today? Is there anything that I didn't ask you that uh, you wish I did? Go Bills. You, you uh, got to get the... the- <laughs> Um, what is it? The billboard question? Oh, I was going to go there. Yeah? Okay. Shall we... No, no. It's um, it's funny because I ask this question to everybody and I generally give people this question beforehand if they want it. Um, everything about this conversation has been organic and on the spot, but I like to throw this question out because it's a stumper. And I don't honestly... No one's actually asked me to answer it, and I don't even know if I have a good answer. So no right or wrong answers, kind of whatever feels right, whatever you think works. If you had a billboard, busy, busy, busy road, all genders, all ages, all religions, all musical liking, all styles of people, all interests, ultimately you want to put something that's not vulgar or too polarizing, you want to put something that's going to have a benefit to anybody who sees it on the side of the road. And you have the ability to control this billboard and place. Some people like to put a band logo on it. Some people like a quote. Um, what would you put on that billboard and and why would you choose what you choose? Oh, man. See, I want to recycle what we used before. I don't know if that's a... Um, I guess I, if you I get, forget like, what you said too... Maybe it'd just be something that showed the immensity of space. So my answer from last time was keep exploring. And I think, you know, if you have that on a, on a billboard and you've got a visual of this huge solar system, huge universe that shows just how we're this tiny little, little thing and there's so much to see out there, that would probably be my, my refined answer. Nice. That was so good. I probably would do the same thing now that I've heard it. So um, last time I said I love, love yourself, but now that I'm thinking about it, like all genders, all races, like all people, it's, it's like a harder question. I don't know if for some reason when you phrase it that way, it's hard to say. Something about love, something something that just set out like a, a vibe of love, you know. 
just something positive, just about like, you know, peace and love. So I don't know, super hippie, but something like that. I love it. Love yourself. Keep exploring. Yeah. All races, all genders, all beings. I think t- sometimes you need to go back to the cliches because at the end of the day, they're cliche because they're true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, are there going to be like outer space aliens on this highway? You know what I mean? Cause in that case I might say something different, you know, yeah. dude, you just like opened up a whole new freaking door into this question you start to broaden the audience of the billboard it changes what i oh my dude because i've i've asked this question many of times but never have i thought if you were to put a billboard in space that would be a message to any other alien creatures that don't live on our earth but assuming they have the ability to see it what would you tell the extraterrestrials that that really opens us up to a whole different story oh it's like man. a brown brown welcome mat that just says welcome pretty yeah much. Oh, pretty that's good. <laughs> but for people too you know not just aliens be good. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> welcome it's a big welcome mat <laughs> something like that oh, i'm just almost thinking get to know us don't judge us on our mistakes because yeah. <laughs> if they're looking down you know things aren't perfect yeah. I mean, how could they be for them either? You know, like, is there some perfect race out there? What is this podcast about? <laughs> we can have a whole new podcast on the meaning of life and, and theoretical space aliens. And theoretical space. Views on us. <laughs> and the fact we might be the aliens, you never know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Dude. I mean, do we really look like monkeys? I don't know, man. Wait, what? I don't know. Did we really evolve from them? That's not how it works. Yeah. I, don't know. I don't know, man. We sure don't look like monkeys nowadays, cooped up in our house on Zoom all the time. We, oh, man, I got to get some exercise in. I feel yeah. like our people of the past are probably in better shape than we are nowadays. We, we've got oh, it good. Well, the good thing good. is outdoor tennis is is fine. It's like mm. really uh, legal, and so we've been playing some outdoor tennis, and that's been, been good. We'll we'll talk offline. My girlfriend and I got a couple rackets, and we actually yeah. haven't used them yet. Um, it's almost a guarantee that we're going to embarrass ourselves. But no, if if you're willing to provide a little bit of uh, mentorship and a lesson. We'll we'll give it a shot. We've been wanting. She's been wanting to do it. So I just started like a year ago, so I'm still pretty pretty new too. I've been pretty intense about it for like a little while now. Yeah, Ava's a player. <laughs> I hit it. I, noises when she hits the ball. It's it's scary. Yeah. It's gonna take some getting used to when you hear her hit the ball. I mean, I always hit it like a baseball. I'm the guy who's hitting it over the fence every two seconds because I oh, can't yeah. control. I get excited when I do that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, that's definitely a triple. Well, thanks again for coming on, guys. Uh, I know um, we've been chatting for a while. Do you want to play more tracks, or should we just uh, call, it a, call it a wrap? It's up to you. What, what time do we got? I, I, in terms of time, it's up to you. It's 9 o'clock. I could do this all night. How about we do a song to play people out if anyone's still here? Yeah. Cool. For any for anyone who's still here, I should say. Yeah. People are here. 
And for um, for the people listening, um, a lot of people do watch this later on. Obviously, the video will be up. The best thing you can do is to share it. I always say the fee of the podcast. I'm not here to have a big old sob story, but the truth is this isn't cheap for me in terms of paying for a Zoom account, having a website I run, the time I effort. Honestly, the conversations I have are priceless and, and it's the most enjoyable thing ever. But ultimately, the best thing you can do to support us, the fee of the podcast, I'm not asking for your money. I'm asking you to share this, DM it. I always think sending a personal message is far more powerful than anything else. So DM this to someone, share it, let them know what you liked about it, let them know what you, ultimately what you learned, keep in touch with all the ones to come. And that's the best way, uh, obviously, follow the Archive Ravens and continue to spread, it, spread the word. At the end of the day, um, money's great. Physical support's great when you can go to a show, but the social support of sharing it with people, spreading the word, um, s selling my brand, selling their brand, and supporting the community is the best thing you can do. You guys in good shape to play that last uh, track? again as always for listening uh, ultimately you want to go to those facebook live streams and be in the audience when we record these shows you would have got a private performance you can actually go back to facebook and check that out loved having the archive ravens on the show i want to give them the last word and uh, play one more track here is afterglow by the archive ravens
to the Rochester Groovecast podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and remember the fee. Share this with a friend and tell them exactly why they should listen. And don't forget to keep it groovy, baby.